studied the child properly for the first time. Wrinkled and toothless, the face was redeemed only by the fine blue eyes. Have you noticed this, Helena? said the trapper, prodding the baby's ribs. The ugly little bastard has only one nipple. His wife frowned. Her husband was right. On the right-hand side, the shallow breast was smooth and pink. He has been given to me by God, she exclaimed. See his mark upon him. The following Sunday, in the chapel on the baron's great estate, the child was christened Vladek Kashkevich. That evening there was a small feast to celebrate the christening, augmented by the gift of a goose from the baron's estate. Anne Kane gazed into her son William's blue eyes and assimilated her new position, with which it would have been illogical to be other than pleased. At twenty-one, she was not conscious that she lacked anything. Born a Cabot, married into a branch of the Lowell family, and now had a first-born son to carry on the tradition summarized so succinctly in the card sent to her by an old school friend. Here's to the city of Boston, land of the bean and the cod, where Cabots talk only to Lowells, and Lowells talk only to God. Anne spent half an hour talking to William. He was then retired for a sleep. Anne nobly resisted the fruit and candy piled by her bedside. She was determined to get back into all her dresses by the summer season. Her long golden hair, fine delicate features, and slim figure had attracted excited admiration in cities she had never even visited. She checked in the mirror. No telltale lines on her face. People would hardly believe that she was the mother of a bouncing boy. She prepared herself for the visitors who would appear during the afternoon, already screened by her private secretary. The first visitor was Anne's mother-in-law, Mrs. Thomas Lowell Kane, the head of the family since her husband had died the previous year. Elegant in late middle age, she wore a long chemise dress, which made it impossible to view her ankles. The only man who had ever done so was now dead. It had been she who had arranged the meeting between Anne and Richard. Love had seemed of little consequence to Mrs. Kane. Wealth, position, and prestige she could always come to terms with. Love rarely proved to be the lasting commodity the other three were. Anne's own mother, Mrs. Edward Cabot, arrived a few minutes later. She, like Mrs. Kane, had been widowed in recent years, and differed so little from her in appearance that those who observed them only from afar tended to get them muddled up. The grandmothers left together, well pleased. An heir had been born and appeared on first sight to be adequate. J.P. Morgan and Alan Lloyd, bankers of impeccable standing, along with Millie Preston, Anne's closest friend, were the chosen godparents. Vladek Koshkevich grew slowly. He caught all the illnesses and diseases that growing children normally catch, and many that they don't and he passed them on indiscriminately to the rest of the Koshkevich family. Helena treated him as any other of her brood, and Florentina loved him from the first moment she had set eyes on him, with an intensity that grew from a fear that no one would ever want to marry her, the penniless daughter of a trapper. She must, therefore, be childless. Vladek was her child. The Koshkeviches were all tall, large-boned, with fair hair and gray eyes. Vladek was short and round, with dark hair, 
and intensely blue eyes. The Koshkeviches had minimal pretensions to scholarship and were removed from the village school as soon as age allowed. Vladek read at three and wrote at five. As soon as he was allowed to, holding firmly onto Florentina's hand, Vladek walked the nine miles through the woods of moss-covered birches and cypresses and the orchards of lime and cherry to Swanim to begin his education. Vladek liked school from the first day. School also confronted him for the first time with the savage implications of the Russian occupation of eastern Poland. He learned that his native Polish was to be spoken only in the privacy of the cottage, and that while at school, only Russian was to be used. It was not long before he rose above all his classmates in everything except height, and it began to dawn on Helena that she had taken on more than she had bargained for. Already, Vladek was asking questions she could not answer, and she wasn't sure what to do about it, but she had an unswerving belief in destiny, and so was not surprised when the decision was taken out of her hands. One evening in the autumn of 1911, the family had finished their supper, and Yashio was snoring by the fire when they heard a loud knock on the door. Yashio rose sleepily and cautiously opened the door. When they saw the man standing there, Everyone bowed their heads, except Vladek, who stared up at the broad, handsome, aristocratic figure in the heavy bearskin coat, whose presence brought fear into the father's eyes. The trapper invited the Baron Rosnowski into his home. Nobody spoke. The Baron had never visited them in the past, and no one was sure what to say. Vladek put down his book, rose, and walked towards the stranger, thrusting out his hand before his father could stop him. Good evening, sir, said Vladek. The Baron took his hand, and they stared into each other's eyes. As the Baron released him, Vladek's eyes fell on a magnificent silver band around his wrist, with an inscription on it that he could not quite make out. You must be Vladek. Yes, sir, said the boy. It is about you that I have come to see your father, said the Baron. Koshkevich, I have come to ask a favor. Anything, sir? Anything? said the father, bewildered. My son Leon is now six and is being taught at the castle by two tutors, one from our native Poland and the other from Germany. They tell me he is a clever boy, but that he likes competition. Mr. Kotowski, the schoolteacher, tells me that Vladek is the only boy capable of providing that competition. Would you allow your son to leave the village school and to join Leon and his tutors at the castle? Vladek glanced towards his mother. She was gazing at the baron, her face filled with wonder and sorrow. The trapper gruffly addressed the baron's feet. We would be honored, sir, the baron smiled. Good. Please bring the boy to the castle tomorrow morning by seven o'clock. During the school term, Vladek will live with us, and when Christmas comes, he can return to you. I will not go, said Vladek firmly wanting to go. I will never leave Florkia, never. Florkia? queried the baron. My eldest daughter, sir, interjected the trapper. Don't concern yourself with her, sir. The boy will do as he is told. How old is the girl? asked the baron. Fourteen, replied the trapper. Could she work in the kitchens? asked the baron. Oh, yes, baron, Helena replied. 
Florkia can cook and she can sew and she can... Good. Then she can come as well. I shall expect to see them both tomorrow morning at seven. The Baron walked to the door and looked back and smiled at Vladek, who returned the smile. Vladek had won his first bargain. They were clearly expected by the magnificent man in the embroidered suit of green livery, who was summoned by their timid knock on the great oak door. They had never seen anything so resplendent as this liveried servant towering above them. The dazzling being conducted them to their bedrooms in the West Wing. Separate bedrooms. Would they ever get to sleep? When they had both unpacked, Florentina was taken to the kitchen, and Vladek to a playroom in the south wing of the castle to meet Leon, a tall, good-looking boy who was immediately charming and welcoming to Vladek. Leon had been a lonely child since the premature death of his mother. The stocky boy who had come out of the forest promised companionship, and at least in one matter they both knew they had been deemed equals. Leon immediately offered to show Vladek around the castle, and the tour took the rest of the morning. After a lunch, Vladek met his two tutors, who did not give him the same warm welcome. Initially, Leon was clearly ahead of Vladek, but as the weeks passed, the gap began to narrow, while friendship and rivalry between the two boys developed simultaneously. The Baron let it be known that he was pleased with the progress the two boys were making, and from time to time he would reward Vladek with clothes and toys. Vladek's initial distant and detached admiration for the Baron developed into respect. The two boys grew even closer, and soon became inseparable. The river Strihara that bordered the estate became an extension to their 